Morning again. It's uh, good to see you all. Uh, for those of you that don't know me, I'm, I'm Jordan. I get to serve as pastor here. If you have a Bible, please open to Colossians chapter 4. Colossians 4. Uh, we're continuing. Actually, we're going to wrap up our sermon series this week through the book of Colossians, and next week we will be starting the book of Genesis. Uh, so we, we hope that you've enjoyed your time uh, through the New Testament. I, I realized in, in the time that I've been here for about a year and a half, a little bit longer than that now, we haven't preached anything through the Old Testament yet. So Put your seatbelts on, folks. It's going to be a good ride, uh, but we're going to enjoy our time uh, through the book of Genesis. But before we can get there, we need to finish up uh, what we're studying here in the book of Colossians. Um, so why don't you, as you open to that, I'm going to just pray that God would continue to work through our time as we look to his word this morning. Father, we thank you for your word. We trust in its sufficiency. God, we pray that you would speak through your word that you would revive our hearts, that you would draw us close to your Son, and that your Spirit would continue to stir in our heart our affection for you, our conviction of sin, and God, may we glorify you through our lives and through everything we say. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Uh, So as we come to the book of Colossians, we've been studying, and our main theme through this book has been looking at what it means to be alive in Christ. Uh, The the book of Colossians was written to a church that was influenced by a false group of teachers who were telling uh, these believers that in order for them to grow in their depth and maturity in Christ, that they needed more than Jesus. And so we continue to say again and again as a Protestant Reformation church that our heartbeat is the gospel, and the gospel is that Jesus has saved us from our sin. He has rescued us from the death that separated us from God. He died on the cross in our place as a substitutionary atonement for our sin. He has made a way for us to be right with God. He was buried, and three days later, he rose from the grave in the resurrection. And as long as we repent of our sin, turn from our sin, and put our faith in Christ, we can be saved. That is the heartbeat of what it looks like to be a Bible Christian. And so as a church, we believe in the heart of the gospel And we also believe that the gospel means that Jesus alone is enough to bring us into redemption and salvation, but not only our salvation, but through the process of our sanctification to become more like God and to walk with him as we have our lives here on earth. And so in Colossians chapter 2, Paul writes to these Colossians and he tells them that just as they have received Christ, we have received the gift of salvation We are to continue to live in Him. And this is the transition part of Colossians as he starts to look uh, to these believers and instruct them through the rest of his letter uh, in what it looks like for them to live in Christ. And there's a beautiful imagery that we can look to. It's really this idea of roots and fruit, right? Roots and fruit. Paul says to these Colossians, be rooted and built up in Him, in Christ, in the faith, just as you were taught, and overflow with thanksgiving. Uh, We all uh, are are like trees in some sense. We have a root structure, and our roots are are put in the person of Christ. As we abide in Him, we're nourished, we're fed, and we grow in Him. 
And so we become trees, and hopefully we're not uh, the, the trees that make acorns, like the one out here, right, where we spill a mess all over in the fall, and all these leaves come around. It's a, a painful time, but it's also a beautiful time. Anybody like piling up the leaves and jumping in them? I must admit, yes, as a, a 20-something, I still enjoy raking leaves. I actually really enjoy it because I have a backpack blower, so praise the Lord. I don't have to rake too hard. I can just spray stuff around and enjoy myself, right? So uh, I have a small yard, like less than half an acre, but it still takes me hours just because I'm having fun, right? <laughs> Confessions of the pastor this morning, right? Um, so we are built like trees. We, we are rooted in Christ, and so the beauty that we see in the leaves, the beauty that we see in these small structures, the, the things that we look outwardly at and say, that is amazing, all of that exists because of the roots that are underneath the ground. And so as a Christian, as we walk in our life, we need to recognize that the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, that these things come out not of our own working, not of the outward things that we can do, but because of the root that we have in the person of Jesus Christ. And so we say that in our salvation, we have legal right standing before God. We have been justified by faith. We have been made righteous before God. But even more so, we have been made alive by God. So if you're a believer in the room this morning, there is good news. Not only have you been made righteous, you have been made alive. And the only reason that you breathe this morning, the only reason you exist, The only reason you can do what you can do is because God has done a work in you to bring you from death to life. Being made alive in Christ is really good news. Uh, But there are some things that we need to be aware of. So in Colossians 2, Paul tells these believers that they need to be uh, aware of three different things. He says, don't let anyone take you captive with empty philosophy and human deceit and human traditions. Uh, these, these believers were hearing that they needed to follow different systems of men in order to grow in their depth in relationship with God. And Paul says, that is not the truth. Be rooted in Christ. He tells them that they should not be uh, judged or condemned for not doing things in the fashion that these false teachers would do. These false teachers would come along and say, You know, it's great that you've started in Jesus. That's amazing. Congratulations, you're a Christian. But now you need to walk like this. Walk like me. Walk like me. Don't look to the person of God. Look at me. Look at how I live. And they put false impressions upon them where they have to live by beating their bodies and treating themselves horribly, following these food festivals and these different moons But Paul says these are a shadow of what was to come. But the substance is in Christ. So the things that they say, look at all of these beautiful attributes that we have. He says they are just a shadow. They are, when you grasp, you feel nothing. But the substance, the weight, the anchor is in the person of Christ. So look to the person of Christ. Don't be judged and condemned by human standards. And he continues to say, And also, don't let people condemn you based on what they proclaim to be spiritual experiences. And Paul there calls out one specific leader among this group who says that the Colossians should listen to him because of his particular practice in worship. In verse 18 and 19 of chapter 2, it says, Let no one condemn you by delighting in ascetic practices and the worship of angels, claiming to 
access to a visionary realm. Such people are inflated by empty notions of their unspiritual mind. He doesn't hold on to the head from whom the whole body, nourished and held together by its ligaments and tendons, grows with growth that is from God. So these, this false leader is saying, look at my authority because of how I worship. You should see the visions that I have. You should listen to me because I've had angelic experiences that you have not had. And Paul says that this man does not hold to the head. He doesn't hold fast to Christ. He holds fast to his own experience. And this leads him astray into a world that actually separates him from God rather than bringing him near to God. So he says, be aware of these things. And then in chapter 3, he, he pulls out this beautiful, what we could sing almost as a hymn in verses 1 through 4. We've been raised with Christ. If you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above and not on earthly things, for you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. Do you hear these things, church? If we are alive in Christ, if we are seeking Christ, we will see His glory come as He comes to restore creation to its intended order. This is not, if you do your things, if you practice these steps, you will see glory. No, this is if you rest your life in Christ, you will see the glory of God. So seek Him. Run to Him. Hold on to Him. And find your everything in Him. And so Paul establishes five different relationships that the Christian needs to be aware of. And the first is that relationship to Christ. This is Colossians 3, 1 through 8. If we're not rooted in Christ, if we're not holding on to Him, if we're not seeking Him, we will not find our purpose. We will not see the life that God has intended for us to live. We will not be able to glorify Him because we are not living with Him and in Him. But as we are in Christ, we can live to the glory of God. The second relationship is that between the Christian and the church. In verse 9, Paul takes this turn where he says, don't lie to one another. And this one another is the believers that exist in this, uh, in this space, in this church, in this community. He tells them to put off the old life and to put on the new life. And in the new life, they have been chosen by God. God has set them apart. He has brought them from death to life. He has made them alive. And he has enabled them by the power of his spirit to live in a way that would glorify him. And Christians are meant to live in community together. It is antithetical to be a Christian who does not connect to a local church. It is meant for us to live together as the people of God and as the family of God. This is good news because families can be dysfunctional. Amen? (laughs) But we live together as the people of God. This is how God has intended for us to live, to glorify Him and to grow in Him as the church, the local church, the established people of God by faith who are living for His glory. And so we had a whole bunch of instructions for this group of people, Colossians 3, verse 9 through 17, letting the Word of Christ dwell in us, which means that we sing. We sing the Word of Christ. Uh, We can sing it in all sorts of different ways, but we sing about Him. We put away the old life. We practice forgiveness. We do everything to the glory of God. And then he goes from 
the Christian and the local church into the Christian and the family. He talks to husbands and wives and children. Then he goes to the Christian in the workplace where he talks specifically about slaves and their masters. And this morning where we're going to land the plane, where we're going to spend all of our time, is looking at the Christian with the outsiders. If you want to have a powerful witness for God, you need to live well among those who don't know God. If you look at every quality, every characteristic of leaders within the church, apostles who existed in the book of Acts and through the rest of their lives, if you look at every characteristic about their lives, they were known as believers to outsiders, and they lived in such a way that they were seen as holy men. They were set apart. They lived differently. And so for us as Christians, as we walk in Christ, we have a calling to proclaim the gospel to the lost and to devote our lives to the mission of God. Colossians 4, verses 2 through 18. Follow along as I read. This is God's word for us this morning. Devote yourselves to prayer. Stay alert in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open a door for us to the word, to speak the mystery of Christ, for which I am in chains, so that I may make it known as I should. Act wisely toward outsiders, making the most of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you should answer each person. Tychicus, our dearly beloved brother, faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord, will tell you all the news about me. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, so that you may know how we are, and so that he may encourage your hearts. He is coming with Onesimus, a faithful and dearly loved brother, who is one of you. They will tell you about everything. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, sends you greetings, as does Mark, Barnabas' cousin, concerning whom you have received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. And so does Jesus, who is called Justice. These alone of the circumcised are my co-workers for the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, sends you greetings. He is always wrestling for you in his prayers so that you can stand mature and fully assured in everything God wills. For I testify about him that he works hard for you, for those in Laodicea and those in Hierapolis. Luke, the dearly loved physician, and Demas sends you greetings. Give my greetings to the brothers and sisters in Laodicea and to Nympha in the church in her home. After this letter has been read at your gathering, have it read also in the church of the Laodiceans. And see that you also read the letter from Laodicea. And tell Archippus to pay attention to the ministry you have received in the Lord so that you can accomplish it. I, Paul, am writing these greetings with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. Thanks be to God that this is his word. So as we look at this passage, verses 2 through 6 are going to be the instruction piece for Christians and outsiders. And then verses 7 through 18 are kind of, kind of what we see as final greetings, a benediction. But really, we're going to learn some lessons from Paul in that section. And so to remind you, our big idea is that as we walk in Christ... We are called to proclaim the gospel, the good news of Jesus' death, burial, resurrection, faith, and repentance 
And we are to do so to the lost, to those who don't know Jesus. And we are to devote our lives to God's work and mission. And so let's look briefly here at verses 2 through 6. Uh, notice as we, we practice evangelism, has anybody ever tried to share the gospel with someone? Okay. All right, uh, I'm going to do a little pop quiz. Some of our men's Bible study and maybe some of our newer church members who have gone through our membership process will know this. Uh, can somebody share the gospel with me in one sentence? Not my wife. <laughs> yeah, go ahead, Sue. Amen. Amen. Okay. Good verse. Good verse. All right. Somebody else. Somebody else share the gospel with me one sentence. Don't be afraid. It's okay to get it wrong. It's okay. The idea is practice, right? Practice. Okay. Where's Jacob? Hey, there he is. <laughs> All right, go ahead. <laughs> mm. Other Jacob. Come on, I know you know it. <laughs> yep, creation, fall, redemption, restoration. Okay, that's a, that's a story of the Bible. Good. Okay, what's, how does that relate to the gospel? Amen. Christ died for our sins, right? Uh, that's a central element to it. I'm going to teach you the gospel in four words, friends, okay? Four words to remember the gospel. Everybody repeat after me. The first word, God. Okay, God. As we share the gospel, we want to tell people about God, right? So we want to tell them who he is, what he is like, and what he is about. Okay, so let's say it again. God. Okay. The second word is man. Everybody? Man. Okay. Who are we? What have we have done? How are we separated from God? Okay. So we, we have rebelled against God. Sin has separated us from him. And we are therefore in need of some sort of reconciliation. So God and man. That's where Jesus comes in. Christ. So everybody say Christ. Christ. Good. What has Jesus done about man's problem with God? He went to the cross. He died in our place. He was buried. And he rose from the grave. Here's the last word. Everybody always forgets this one. Response. Response. How do we respond to this news? The Bible says, Mark 1, verse 16, hear the good news, believe and repent. Okay? So the gospel in four words for you to remember. God, man, Christ, response. Okay? Let's do it together. God, man, Christ, response. Beautiful. Amen. Okay? So as we think of these words, this is how we can share the gospel. If we can remember those four things and we can point people to those four things, we can share the good news that we have. But I think it's really interesting, as we share the gospel, right? If any of us have tried this before, how many of you have had success in sharing the gospel? Okay, amen, praise the Lord. How many of you have, like, fallen flat on your face and felt like it was a failure? There's always more hands that go up for that, right? How many of you have not shared the gospel? Honesty, okay, all right, good. Honesty is good. As we share the good news, there's a reality that there's a risk that takes place, right? Listen, Christians, you need to hear this this morning. Matthew 28, verses 19 and 20, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, 
teaching them to observe everything that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always, that wasn't just a suggestion. That was a command. Christians, you are commanded to share the good news. That is part of why you exist, to share the good news with someone else. All of us are in this room this morning, or or some of us are in this room coming for the first time, because somebody loved Jesus and wanted to share Jesus with you. Let that soak into your heart for a moment. We're all here this morning because somebody has communicated the good news of Jesus to us. And that's something that we should like humbly accept and hold on to and celebrate. We're here because of Jesus. And we're inviting others, not just because we have a cool building or because we like the people here, but because they need Jesus. We exist to tell people about Jesus because it wasn't just a suggestion It was a command. And so we don't always live up to it, but we can have hope knowing that all of these good things that Paul has written about in Colossians, did you hear what he said in Colossians 3? If you've been raised with Christ, did you see the emphasis on the wording there? If you have been raised, he didn't say if you raised yourself, he says if you have been raised with Christ, Christ has done this work for you. If you're feeling a little insecure about sharing the gospel, God will work through you. So hold on to that and celebrate it. But instructions, before I get too far ahead of myself here. uh, Instructions. So first Paul writes to these believers and he says, devote yourselves to prayer. Devote yourselves to prayer. Stay alert in it with thanksgiving. The beginning of good evangelism starts with devotion to prayer. And how many of us would say and admit that we struggle with praying, right? I know that I I should pray. I know that I should be talking to God. I know that I should be seeking Him. But oftentimes, I'm like, I don't want to do that. Anybody else have that flesh wrestling, right? Okay, good. I'm glad to know I'm not alone, right? But we struggle sometimes to pray. But Paul says, devote yourself to prayer. Prayer doesn't just have to be before a meal. It doesn't have to be an hour that we set aside in the day. It should be a devotion throughout our our every day, our every week, our our every moment of our lives where we're just depending on God. We're talking to Him. Martin Luther King Jr. was the one who said that a, a Christian who doesn't pray doesn't understand their need for oxygen because prayer is like oxygen to the believer. We need to pray. We need to devote ourselves to prayer. We need to stay alert in it with thanksgiving. And oftentimes when we think of prayer, we think of all the things that we want to lift up to God about things that we're going through, circumstances we face. And I don't want to down those prayers. Those are good prayers. You know, we all have to intercede for people because we know that they're going through a health struggle. Or we know that they're going through financial struggles. We know that they are facing some sort of relational breakdown. Uh, But I challenge you this week, go through, if you keep a prayer journal, great. If you don't keep one this week, And look at how you pray. Look at what you're praying for. Are you praying on behalf of others and for things? Or are you taking some time to pray, God, give me an opportunity to share the gospel. God, give me an opportunity to confess sin, to look to you, help me to grow in you. Because every time Paul prays for believers in the church, he does spend some time in his benedictions addressing specific needs. But if you see the thrust of his praise and thanksgiving in every of his letters, 
He starts by saying, God, thank you that you have done this in people's lives. So pray that we would draw closer to God and be like him. Devote yourselves to prayer. So prayer fuels our evangelism because we know we can't go in our own strength to proclaim the gospel. I can give you a great story. I went to Bible college for a year before I transferred to a, a, a Christian university. And as I was there, we were forced to go to New York City to do evangelism. It was the most petrifying experience of my life, okay? I can talk with rocks, and I was afraid in New York City, right? <laughs> if you've been to New York City, maybe you are understanding my anxiety at the moment. But we're in the middle of Times Square, and one of the things that we had to do for this, this project, we, it, twice a year we had to go out into the open and share the gospel with people. It felt like street preaching, and that is not my jam. It is not the gift that the Lord has given me. Uh, I'm not one to stand up on a box on the street corner and, and shout. Uh, that, that's not my gift. Um, but nonetheless, we were, we were called to go out of our comfort zones to go and proclaim the gospel. And it felt really awkward because we were in like khakis and these white shirts, and I immediately thought to myself, oh boy, somebody's going to think I'm part of a cult. Like, this is not a good thing, right? I look weird, I'm dropped into the middle of Times Square, and I have to do something really uncomfortable. It was terrifying. And uh, I remember conversations that I had to have with people. I had to try to work my way into opening up a conversation with them to lead to spiritual things. And there was only one way that I could really think to do it. Connect about sports. I was with my soccer team. We were there together. We were playing soccer around the, uh, the neighborhood. And I, I knew if I saw somebody with some sort of soccer apparel that I could make a conversation with them. I could be like, you're a Liverpool fan? Seriously? Seriously. Let me tell you about sin, right? <laughs> You're a Chelsea fan? Let me tell you about no hope. Right? Manchester United, glory, glory, Man United. I can tell you all about God's glory. Right? I could go through these conversations. I could make my way talking with someone about uh, soccer. So I'd see them wearing something like Nike. I'd see them wearing a jersey. I'd see them wearing a hat. And I'd just come up and be like, hey, you watch the team? Well, tell me about soccer. Do you play? Have you been playing? And little do you know, five or so minutes go by, and they're like, well, what are you here for? Why are you talking to me? I'm like, well, glad you asked. <laughs> Let me tell you about Jesus. <laughs> and usually they either got glossed over, they're like, okay, I want to know some more. I didn't know how each person was going to respond, but I tried to make a connection. Knowing that, okay, hey, I might not be back here. And I might not have the opportunity to do this. But what fueled that was that I had to pray. I had to pray that God would bring people that he would help me to get over my anxiety, that he would give me opportunities to connect with people in natural bridges and not force my way into conversation because every time I've tried to force it, that was when I fell flat on my face. Every single time. I fell flat on my face. But as I prayed, God opened doors. And in verse 3, Paul says to the Colossians, pray for us that God would open a door for us for the Word. Not just relationships, but for the Word. And this Word here is the Word of the Gospel. Pray that God would open opportunities to share the Gospel. It's great to make connections with people. 
It's great to build relationships, but we need to pray that we would have opportunities to speak the Word. He says specifically to speak the mystery of Christ for which I am in change so that I may make it known as I should. He's imprisoned. He is literally in a cell. And he's saying, pray that God would give me the opportunity not to get out of here, not to have more comfort, but that God would give him the opportunity to share the gospel. And meanwhile, we're in our homes and we're cushy and we're comfy. We're like, I am praying that I don't have to go to church at this moment so I can turn on my TV and watch the game. I got five more minutes. I can fit the rest of the first half in. Again, confessions of your pastor, right? <laughs> oh boy, it's 9 a.m. on a Saturday, or a Saturday and a, guy, a game's coming on, but I've got to run to the barn. What's more important? Pray that God would give us opportunities to proclaim the gospel so that people would hear about it. So he tells us that we should speak to God about people. We should first, as we go into evangelism, we're to speak to God about people. We're to pray for people and pray for opportunities to proclaim that gospel. But then the, act, the actual act of proclaiming the gospel is speaking to people about God. As we speak to people about God, Paul gives these Colossians some encouragements. He says, first, act wisely towards outsiders, making the most of the time. Don't take your opportunities for advantage. Take them and soak them in and use them. Make the most of your time. Walk wisely with them. So, you want to, in wisdom, pray, hey, how's this conversation going to go? Am I going to have the opportunity to have a follow-up? Am I going to be able to connect them? Am I going to be able to invite them to church? Or am I doing this as like drive-by evangelism? Do I have the opportunity to follow up and, and, and point these people to Jesus? Can I act in wisdom? Can I share the gospel in wisdom? Or maybe they don't need you to follow up, and maybe they just need to hear something that's different from what they're saying. So take advantage of it. Verse 6, let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt. See that? Gracious speech, seasoned with salt. (laughs) This is where maybe I get a little different from the street preachers, right? Or the the people that have the the big signs up. I think there's a time and a place for that. I think that that can be appropriate. But I, I think every time we have the opportunity to share the gospel, we should do so with grace. We should season our speech in a way that it is uh, refreshing. And salt, right, it adds flavor. But as you rub salt into a wound, it also can heal things up. It doesn't always feel great. But we need to have these two ideas in mind. This person needs some flavor in their life. They're dull and depressed. They need the hope of Jesus. This person is angry. And they need some healing. Here's the salt of Jesus. And then he says this, so that you may know how you should answer each person. This is the idea of being prepared. This is why I do the God-man-Christ response thing with people. If if you can have those four words in your mind, you can be prepared to share the good news. And people might ask you a really tough question that you might not be able to answer, and it is okay. 
It is okay to go back to them and say, hey, listen, I don't know, but if you give me a few hours or a week, I can look in the Bible and I can come back and I can give you an answer. Or, hey, I don't know, but I know another Christian who knows a lot about that. Would you be willing to get together with us? Can we have a conversation about it? We are to proclaim the gospel to the lost so we can tell them about the hope that we have in Jesus. So we need to walk in wisdom. We need to walk in grace. We need to speak in grace. We need to be ready to share this good news. And then the last verses, verses 7 through 18, give us instructions uh, that Paul kind of laid out by his own example. Some lessons from Paul. And so I'm just going to kind of fly over these for the sake of our time and our interest. Uh, but first, the first lesson we can learn from Paul is to love others well. Love others well. Look at how he talks to Tychicus. He says, he's our dearly loved brother. He's a faithful minister a fellow servant in the Lord. As Paul writes this letter, you have to remember that he hasn't actually been to Colossae. He sent Epaphras. And Epaphras goes and he proclaims the gospel, and these people become Christians. And so Paul writes all of these instructions to them. He warns them. He encourages them. He instructs them. And somebody who doesn't love people wouldn't do these things. So we need to love others well which tells us that the church is a place where we can love people. It's a place where we can exercise patience and instruction and care. And so maybe one way that we can walk in that is that we can pray to grow in love for other Christians. Pray that God would continue to help you to grow in your love for the family of God that is in Hebrew Church of Hope or the family of God in other local churches. Pray that you would love others well. But also notice this. Paul was someone who shared in the work of ministry. He didn't just hog ministry to himself. He raised up others. He multiplied the efforts of the gospel. He delegated. And he empowered and enabled people to glorify God through the work of ministry. Ephesians 4 tells us that we have been given pastors and elders and apostles and shepherds so we may equip the saints for the work of ministry. See, my ultimate job as a pastor is not to do the work of ministry for you. It is to equip you to do the work of ministry. It's to multiply, to make disciples who make disciples. It's why I take the weird moments to have all of you pause and reflect on a Sunday morning on the gospel. This is multiplication. If you can share that good news, it can multiply. But each one of us is also called to multiply in others. We're to share the work of ministry, which means this. No one owns a single ministry. Nobody owns it. It's not yours. This is not my church. This is Jesus' church. This is not our elders' church. It's not our congregation's church. It is Jesus' church. He bled and died for the church. I didn't bleed and die. I serve the church to the glory of God and for their good. It means that in our kids' ministry, 
Our leaders in our kids' ministry don't own that ministry. They do it to serve others and glorify Jesus. But it's not theirs. It doesn't belong to them. Our music team, it doesn't belong to our music team. They don't own that ministry. They don't get to say, hey, this is what we do. We do this to serve others. Our outreach team, nobody owns outreach. We do so to glorify God and tell others about Him. Hospitality. Nobody owns the kitchen. Praise the Lord. (laughs) Nobody owns the kitchen. But man, I'll tell you what, lots of good food comes through that kitchen. Praise God. But nobody owns it. It's Jesus's. Nobody owns the red barn. This is not my red barn or Dave's red barn or Steve's red barn or this person's red barn or that person's red barn. It is Hebron Church of Hope. And who does Hebron Church of Hope belong to? Jesus. It is Jesus' church. So we got to remember that while we're responsible and we care and we respect and we revere it, we need to remember who it belongs to. It belongs to Jesus. And the moment that somebody else climbs up on his throne is the moment that they need to get knocked down. And guess whose responsibility that is? The church's responsibility. We need to together remind one another. We need to encourage each other that we do this together. We get to do this. We get to do this for God's glory. And so we can serve Him. Which leads me to a second point within this. If no one owns a ministry and we get to serve Jesus, that means that God wants us to serve His church. God wants us to serve His church together. That doesn't mean that one person does everything. I am so thankful that Hebron Church of Hope and its history, the previous pastor who was here, set up in his bylaws that there would be a plurality of elders for Hebron Church of Hope. I sit at a table with other qualified men who lead and care and model and pray and teach, and I don't have to do everything. I praise God for that. That's why I try to get them up on stage to do things like pray and read scripture and welcome people. That's why I want to see a, a team attitude in every ministry here at the church, not because it's my vision, but because I see that God has called Christians in his word to work together. So I tell people constantly, hey, listen, the church is a place where we raise people up to use their gifts to glorify God and to build one another up. That's what we're here for, to build each other up. So it doesn't mean that one person does everything. It doesn't mean that a small group of people do everything. How many of you have heard the 80-20 principle? Okay, yes. If you've been in church for some time, this is a familiar percentage, right? Where 20% of people do 100% of the work, right? 80% of the work, that's right. That's why I have a smart wife. <laughs> Maybe I didn't do so great in math. Oh, boy. <laughs> uh, a small group of people is not meant to do everything together. And this is, I have to tell you real upfront. this is why I'm, I'm really trying to guard our calendar, guard what we do week in and week out. And I have to confess that there are some times where I'm feeling like, oh, boy, I need to take that off the calendar. 
so that we don't fall into the trap of saying we want to do all of these things with this many people. We want to work together. We want to glorify God. We want to have a movement of the local church. And, and so that means that we don't want to necessarily call an entire congregational meeting for every activity, right? We don't want to ask everybody to come together to vote on paper. Um, that's not always fun. But we do want to say, hey, how can we work together in a way that's efficient and still builds unity? That's an important concept. So a small group doesn't do people. It means that we work together corporately, and working together is not uniformity. Paul says we're a body. Not everybody's a hand. Not everybody's a foot. Not everybody's a nose. Not everybody is a mouthpiece. We all have different gifts, and we work together, but we're still one body. And so we celebrate diversity. Gifts are diverse. Gifts are diverse. Each one of us has been given a gift to use for God's glory. But hear this second thing. There is unity under these things for the local church. Unity in our confession. Here's what we believe, why we believe it. Here's what we stand for. Our statement of faith. We are unified in these principles. Second, we are united under our philosophy of ministry. Teach, gather, engage, reach. Here's what we believe. Here's how we do it. This is why we do it. And third, there's unity under a church covenant. So if you come into membership here at Church of Hope, you sign a covenant before all of the members, will you express to them, I'm living for unity with you. I do everything under the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. So gifts are diverse, but there is unity. So Paul loved others well. He multiplied the efforts in ministry, and he supported others. He talks about the work of ministry in other people's lives. He talks about Aristarchus, Mark, um, Justice. He talks about Epaphras and Luke. He says, look at these things that these people are doing. Support them. Pray for them. Pray for other local churches. Pray for people like Baptist Fellowship down the street in Columbia. They're proclaiming the gospel. Pray for churches here in Hebron like Christ Lutheran Church. They're proclaiming the gospel in the worship center, proclaiming the gospel. Pray for these churches. Pray for Hope Church, the other Hope Church in East Hampton. Pray because they're proclaiming the gospel. Pray that God would multiply those things and that it would bear fruit. Pray for missions. Pray for missions like Mike and Denisa Foster planting churches in Romania. We support them as a church. Pray for the Bridge Church Plant and church planting efforts here in New England. Pray for caring families, a pregnancy crisis center. Pray for teens, what is it, Teen Challenge. I always want to say teens involved, but that's a different thing. Teens, Teen Challenge. They're helping people with addiction issues. These are some missions we support. Pray for these things. Support them. Get behind them. If you can help, help. So we can learn, love others, share in the ministry, support others. And maybe the most important thing that we can learn is that we need to stay committed to Christ. We can hear this from Paul. He writes his letter in chains. And our commitment to Christ looks like these three things. Commitment to what he says. Commitment to the word. Notice what he prayed. Pray that we would have the opportunity to proclaim the word. We're a Protestant church. Sola Scriptura. 
The authority of the church is the word alone. Stay committed to the word. Stay committed to what he commands, the great commission. Make disciples. Who make disciples? Stay committed to his bride, the local gathered assembly of Christians that we call the church. Stay committed to his bride, the church. Stay away from false teaching, from pseudo-spirituality. You are more mature if you do these things. No. You are mature because you're in Christ. In fact, just a final note on maturity. If you have to convince yourself that you're mature, you're not there yet. It's the same idea as if you have to convince yourself that you're humble. You're not there yet. We're works in progress, but praise God that we can walk together with Christ, the local church, the family, the workplace, and outsiders to glorify God and proclaim the gospel. We are alive in Christ. Praise be to God. Pray with me. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for your word. Thank you for what we have learned in Colossians. As we come now to responding to you from these truths that we have heard through the past ten or so weeks, God, we pray as we sing this song, we would do so from the depths of our hearts. I believe it's, oh, how I need you. And so, God, help us to cry out as your church for our need for you, our need for each other, and our need for your work through your spirit so that we would glorify you, make much of Christ, and help the lost become saved. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And all of God's people said, amen. You may stand and sing with us as we